Welcome to Yarns at Yin Hu, a podcast about the fiber arts and other post-apocalyptic skills. Episode 256, Doing Our Jobs, Monday, September 14th, 2020. I'm your host, Sarah. You can find me on social media as Sarah Pomegranate. Each time I record an episode, I post show notes, photographs, and links to things I talk about on my website, yarnsatyinhu.com. I also keep quite detailed notes about my knitting projects on Ravelry. Listeners support the production of this podcast through purchase of my knitting designs on Ravelry, or you can arrange a PayPal purchase if you choose. The next design in my Women Who Run With The Wolves collection is for a cowl with a mushroom motif. It's designed to be knit in worsted or fingering weight yarn, and it's coming on September 20th. I've been posting some of the work of my test knitters each week leading up to the pattern release. So far, there are two beautiful worsted weight versions posted to my Instagram account, and coming soon are some fingering weight versions. I really look forward to getting this pattern out to you. It's one that was a lot of fun to design, and I'm also working on a new way of laying out patterns using InDesign instead of what I've been doing in Word. So it definitely feels like an update to my pattern writing abilities. The patterns in my Women Who Run With The Wolves collection are offered up at tiered pricing when they are released, and they move to fixed pricing when the next design in the collection is released. That means this is your final week to get tiered pricing on my Taking Back the River socks. It's the first design in this collection. It's for a toe-up sock with a watery motif, and it will return to fixed pricing on September 20th. Thank you so much for your pattern purchases and your support of the show, whether it's contacting me with a personal message, posting to the Ravelry board, responding to one of my photographs on Instagram, or just downloading and enjoying the show. I'm so happy you're out there. I'm so pleased to be able to continue creating this podcast for you and sending it out to you a few times a month. This episode includes the following segments, news and events, on the porch, off the shelf, and so forth. News and events. It's so refreshing to be talking to listeners about some upcoming events. I mentioned in my previous episode the CAN retreat that's running September 18th to 20th. And I will provide a link if you're interested in participating in that. 
CAN stands for Creative Advocacy and Networking. And this is an online retreat run by Ann Choi and her associates with lots of opportunities to connect in the industry and to find empowerment for fiber-related businesses. Also coming up is a Farm to Fiber tour. This is a big production in eight counties over two weekends, and it takes place at some of the beloved locations that um, my retreat goers and I have visited in previous springs in um, Washington County, New York, and other counties. It goes, it's New York and Vermont, and it takes place October 3rd and 4th and 10th and 11th. Farms and small businesses, the Battenkill Woolen Mill, are open 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., so some of the participants, you've heard me mention many of these before, Battenkill Fiber Mill, Foster Sheep Farm, Wing in a Prayer Farm, Onsenbrook Farm, Lily Marsh Studios. The Hudson Valley Textile Project is promoting this endeavor, and it's a chance to get out, drive around, meet some of the people who produce the fiber and the products that you love, get some fresh air, and support their businesses. So I will provide a link for more information and a map to that event, which is coming up in early October. I subscribe to the Tatter Textile Library newsletter and recently received a listing of a whole bunch of very interesting and engaging looking online classes and lectures. So I recommend, even if you're not in the vicinity of New York and have maybe previously thought that something at Tatter isn't something in which you could participate, that is all different now. So I recommend you sign up for the newsletter. I'll provide a link. Two things that I will be participating in this fall are a Shisha Talisman Workshop. That's being given online on Saturday, September 19th by Shanaz Khan. It looks really intriguing. It's embroidery with the center reflective or coin disc. And she's going to talk all about that. I started collecting some materials and supplies for that class. And then on October 3rd, Sarah Trail is going to do a lecture on the Social Justice Sewing Academy. All of the proceeds support her mission, and it's a really great opportunity to learn about what she's doing and donate to a good cause. There are other classes as well and new things going up all of the time. So I encourage you to take a look. I continue to make progress on the same two projects I mentioned in my last episode. 
I'm knitting some toe-up socks for my sister Laura in West Yorkshire Spinners yarn, which is lovely and wonderful to work with. I use the pattern directions for my Taking Back the River socks to knit a toe-up sock. And then I was interested in adding a cuff with the mushroom motif from the cowl that's coming out. And I wanted to see how that would work on a much smaller gauge. And that's the reason I decided to knit a toe-up sock, because the mushroom motif is knit from the bottom up. And I really didn't have the brain width to reverse engineer that. So I just knit the entire foot, and then I shifted to some scraps of my only ever La Bienname yarn, which coordinates very nicely with the West Yorkshire spinners that I'm using for the main sock. And then I did increase my stitch count by two because the cowl motif is knit in units of six. So I just went from 64 to 66 stitches with two little increases. And then I added that motif around the ankle of the sock. And then I shifted from that into a two by two rib for the cuff. It looks darling. I'm really excited about the way this turned out. I actually did a mashup of the two different motifs with the stem of one and the mushroom cap of the other. And I love it. And I think Laura will really enjoy these socks. So I finished the first sock and I'm working on the foot of the second sock. And I've also made some pretty steady progress on my tokunatsu by Bernice Leem. This is in a cotton wool blend from Oysters and Pearls. I'm knitting the front portion um, back and forth, lots of purling, lots of increases, and I'm nearly ready to bind that off and start on the lace panels on the upper back. So sort of rounding the bend, um, and I think the, the back will go much quicker than the front because I'm increasing, I don't know, I think it's like nearly doubling the stitches, adding almost 100 stitches, I think, to create that nice drape in the front. So that's going well. It's knitting up nicely. I love the fabric, and I'm sort of rushing to the finish, so I hopefully have a few occasions to wear this sweater before things turn chilly here in northeastern Pennsylvania. Off the shelf. A few weeks ago, I received a lovely note on Ravelry from Knitter Chow, who's Kathy from Michigan, regarding an event, an online event that supports the Arab American Museum in Dearborn, Michigan. And this event features my very favorite poet in the universe, Naomi Shihab Nye. 
and she is going to be in concert and conversation with musician Simon Shaheen. And they're doing an event. I guess it's going to be some sort of back and forth with poetry and music and some conversation. I don't know. But you can sign up by making a donation online. And the event takes place September 18th. That's Friday evening. I'm really looking forward to that. And I've been just combing through some of my books by Naomi Shihab Nye and looking at a few things that are available online because when I read something to you on the podcast, I really do like to provide a link to the poem so that you can enjoy it on your own. This week I've chosen a poem called Different Ways to Pray. I thought it was suitable for the times we're in, the tragedies many of us are facing, and the anxieties we have for our own struggles and on behalf of others. What I enjoy about Naomi Shihab Nye's poetry is that it's so simple in its language and personal It's very intimate, um, but it doesn't shrink from really important concepts and messages. I was reading on the Poetry Foundation's biography of her and saw something she said in an interview with Children's Literature Review. To counteract negative images conveyed by blazing headlines, writers must steadily transmit simple stories closer to heart and common to everyday life. Then we will be doing our jobs. That has really given me a lot to think about It's such an apt description of what Nye does with her work that it could be at once so domestic and so striking and overreaching in its messaging. I also was thinking a lot about doing our jobs and how so many of us have seen major shifts in the way we do our work, in the way we connect with our colleagues and coworkers, our clients, customers, students. Um, After a sort of challenging beginning, shifting very quickly to a hybrid model of instruction at the school district where I work in New Jersey, We made it two weeks before we received notification on Friday evening that the next two weeks will be remote instruction owing to a sort of snafu with our filtration system in one or maybe both of the buildings. It's unclear. So the administration and 
the custodial staff is taking two weeks to get that sorted, and we are on remote instruction for that time. And it can be challenging to connect with what doing our jobs means uh, right now. And it can be challenging for people to know exactly what they can expect of us. I think some contemplation and connection with powerful voices, perhaps through poetry, perhaps regarding meditation or mindfulness, can be a good way to feel settled and grounded and to gather that energy up that we need to project out positively to others. So on that note, I offer up a reading of Naomi Shihab Nye's Different Ways to Pray. There was the method of kneeling, a fine method if you lived in a country where stones were smooth. The women dreamed wistfully of bleached courtyards, hidden corners where knee fit rock. Their prayers were weathered rib bones, small calcium words uttered in sequence, as if this shedding of syllables could somehow fuse them to the sky. There were men who had been shepherds so long they walked like sheep. Under the olive trees they raised their arms. Hear us, we have pain on earth. We have so much pain, there is no place to store it. But the olives bobbed peacefully in fragrant buckets of vinegar and thyme. At night, the men ate heartily, flatbread and white cheese, and were happy in spite of the pain, because there was also happiness. Some prized the pilgrimage, wrapping themselves in new white linen to ride buses across miles of vacant sand. When they arrived at Mecca, they would circle the holy places on foot many times. They would bend to kiss the earth and return their lean faces housing mystery. While for certain cousins and grandmothers, the pilgrimage occurred daily, lugging water from the spring or balancing the baskets of grapes. These were the ones present at births, humming quietly to perspiring mothers, the ones stitching intricate needlework into children's dresses, forgetting how easily children soil clothes. There were those who didn't care about praying, the young ones, the ones who had been to America, they told the old ones, you are wasting your time. Time? The old ones prayed for the young ones. They prayed for Allah to mend their brains, for the twig, the round moon, to speak suddenly in a commanding tone. And occasionally there would be one who did none of this. The old man Fauzi, for example, Fauzi the fool, 
who beat everyone at dominoes, insisted he spoke with God as he spoke with his goats and was famous for his laugh. And so forth. After many tries to get to sewing my Amy jumpsuit, which were thwarted by a lot of work on my kitchen, I'm pleased to report that we're at the finishing touches stage of our kitchen renovation. And this weekend, I was able to squeeze in some time to cut out the pattern uh, for my Amy jumpsuit, which I had printed by uh, PDF plotting. I had it printed and mailed to me along with a pattern for the Yates coat because um, these things are only available via PDF. Either that or I couldn't find a copy of the pattern. I forget exactly why. It's been a while. But I decided to order two PDF patterns, have them printed by PDF plotting and mailed to me. And then I did the very luxurious thing and just cut out my copy instead of tracing my size. So that sped things up a little bit. I did add an inch and a half to the bodice of the jumpsuit front and back because I'm quite long-waisted and I wanted to make sure that I had enough to accommodate my long torso. Then I cut out my pattern on my beautiful black, I think it's a linen rayon blend in black. I did not have enough yardage for all pattern pieces, but I looked very carefully through my fabric stash and found some black lining fabric. So I cut out the pockets and the the lining pieces from this lining fabric and I had enough for the front and back, the straps, and the belt um, of the Amy jumpsuit, which was great. And I really love the drape of this. Oh, I'm so excited to be working on it. So I've completed the first few steps. The first thing I did was I sewed the belt. And that's kind of a good tip for sewing if there are straps or a belt or something that you could sew almost as a way, it's kind of like swatching in knitting. It's like figuring out how does your thread look with the fabric? How's the tension on your machine? Are you using a needle that's working well with the fabric? Um, when I was working on so many versions of the Mississippi Avenue dress, I always sewed the little spaghetti strap kind of ties first. Um, it was a good chance to work with the fabric. It was also a chance to get a really fiddly part done so that when I finished the hemming of the dress, I was done working on the project. Um, and that was motivating. So I started by sewing the fabric belt for the Amy jumpsuit 
and adjusted my needle a little bit. My thread was working well, and then I started working on sewing the bust darts um, on the lining and the main fabric and sewing front and back pieces together. I took a step, there's some um, interfacing that's recommended for the neckline of the pattern pieces. And I dug out some of my So Keezy Stay Tape. This is a product that was recommended to me when I visited um, my local fabric and sewing machine um, shop, Pocono Sew and Vac. Um, one of the sewists there who sews a lot of her own garments talked to me when I was working on the curlew dress, which was sewn on the bias, and she recommended this stay tape um, to keep the fabric from stretching around the neckline. And I ordered quite a bit of it um, online. I ordered black, white, and a sort of a nude color. And I just thought, well, I wonder about using that stay tape around the shoulder um, the arm side openings and the neckline opening instead of cutting out pieces of interfacing and it further could save time and it worked really well I think um, it's almost invisible because I chose the black it's on black fabric um, it's on the inside of course so you wouldn't see it but um, I had to look carefully to make sure that I put it on all four pieces of the pattern because it was nearly invisible once applied. So I think I'm at the point now where I can devote perhaps a little bit of time each day working on this project. The big hurdle for me is always just cutting it out and getting started. It was especially challenging with this project because there are uh, front and back pieces to the jumpsuit that go from shoulder to ankle. So the pattern pieces are really large. They're even longer because I extended them. It's difficult to maneuver that on my cutting table uh, because the entire piece does not fit. There's always some hanging off. I wanted to make sure I pinned it very carefully. And once I had everything cut out and my pieces marked, I just sort of felt like, okay, I'm not too far from the finish now, even though I hadn't started sewing it yet. I do believe that working on a project, a sewing project in small bits is viable. It's just the cutting takes a big chunk of uninterrupted time for me. I can't cut it out in pieces like, you know, 15 minutes each night or something like that. I need to devote an afternoon. And I was very, very lucky to have an afternoon to work on that this weekend. And now I feel like I'm in gear heading toward my finished Amy jumpsuit. When I posted on Instagram a few weeks ago, I posted... Um, my Mississippi Avenue dress and said, this is my third one. I asked my Instagram followers to share 
any patterns that were uh, highly repeatable or tried and true faves and got quite a few responses. So I thought I would share some of those here. And I think that most of them are really suitable for beginning sewists. So if you have been curious about sewing and you're thinking of taking on a garment, I encourage you to look through these. I will link them all in the show notes and you can check them out and uh, see if there's anything in there that would suit your wardrobe. Heather01851 mentioned the Esme tunic, which she's sewn two times, and also the washi dress, which is now apparently called the Trillium dress. Hamilton House Homestead has sewn the calendar dress by Frankie and Ray four times, and this one could go into my queue. I've been taking a very careful look at it. Mom Diggity Knits has knit the has sewn sewn the endless summer tunic several times and also the Cabot dress by Hand Lookbook which is cut on the bias. So on the bias is a little bit tricky. I think it's sort of um level up for sewists, but it's a really great way to get drape, fit, and flare along the lines of what you would get with a knit fabric by sewing with a woven fabric. That was the attraction for me of the curlew dress, and this Cabot dress has the same appeal. And Judy in the dyes mentioned that she has the Scout Tee and Robbie Pants, those are by Tasudi, in several iterations. Um, it sounds like sort of a mix and match wardrobe that Judy in the dyes is building. And that's fantastic. It's been about, I don't know, six or seven years now that I've been working toward my goal of a mostly handmade wardrobe. And I have to say, it brings so much comfort and positive energy to me to be wearing things that I've made and to supplement those handmade pieces with thrifted or sustainable fashion pieces that I source very carefully and in a lot of cases save up a lot of money for before I make my purchase. It's almost like having a, you know, your own force field around you to be able to clothe yourselves in things you've made. So if you've been on the fence, if you've been kind of so curious, um, I encourage you to take that step and give it a try. There are lots of accessible and free patterns. There are lots of ways to obtain fabric that are 
eco-friendly or even, you know, recycling things that you have. And you can get really creative with it and make some things that make you feel really personally powerful, resourceful, and strong. I hope this coming week gives you occasion to make time for the crafting that brings you joy. And thank you so much for listening.